0: Welcome to Easter Sunday, where we celebrate and commemorate God's most impressive miracle with eggs and chicks. (laughs) Let me try that again. Uh, Welcome to Easter Sunday, where uh, we celebrate that God has prepared a place for you in the sky, and there is a harp for everyone. Okay, 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 all right, all right, the crowd's getting anxious. Let me try again. Uh, Welcome to Easter Sunday where we celebrate spiritual renewal and being woke. (laughs) (laughs) Where if we'll just tap into our own potential, we'll find that true resurrection is found in human progress. Hmm. Here we are on the Super Bowl Sunday of the Christian calendar, and we are ready and prepared with our amens, but isn't it true that for many of us, the real impact of resurrection, if it's not blissful afterlife or impressive miracles or spiritual awakening, is largely lost on us. We know that we're supposed to be excited and celebrate it, but what does it really get down to? We are largely unknown. Today, I wanna look at the Gospel of John, John chapter 20, that tells this famous story of resurrection. But I want to look at it through the lens of trying to find out how does the gospel writer understand the meaning, the implication or the reality of resurrection. So I want to read the first 18 verses of John chapter 20. If you'd like to follow along, it'll be on the screens. Otherwise, uh, you can hear it today. John chapter 20 from the New Revised Standard Version says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone Then Simon Peter came following him, went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, the cloth that had been laid had been on Jesus' head, not lying in the, with the linen wrappings, but rolled in a place by itself. Then the other, other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and he believed. For as of yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary... But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, though she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, "'Woman, why are you weeping? "'And whom are you looking for?' "'Supposing him to be the gardener.' "'She said to him, "'Sir, if you have carried him away, "'tell me where you have laid him, "'and I will take him away.' "'But Jesus said to her, "'Mary.' "'So she turned and said to him in Hebrew, "'Rabbani,' which means teacher. "'Jesus said to her, "'Do not... Hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. And so Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said, that he had said these things to her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, it's really important when we read this account from John's gospel that John is not writing this in real time. Uh, In other words, John is not a journalist who's live-tweeting the resurrection, okay? Rather, John is actually writing this a few decades after the event has taken place itself. In fact, he's also writing after the gospels that we know as Matthew, Mark, and Luke have also already Been written. And so John is actually very intentional in the way that he tells the story. He's had time to reflect on the meaning of Christ's life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. So John does not write as a journalist or a historian seeking simply to record exactly what happened, but rather John is writing as a theologian. Now, that's not to say that this isn't historical, because it is. This is recording and reflects real events in real history, but he's recording this history through a theological lens. He's arranging things. He's choosing how he tells this story in order to be a theologian, not a journalist. He wants us to understand how he understands resurrection and its meaning. And what we find is that twice in John chapter 20, one in verse one, and then one in the verse right after we read, verse 19, he makes a note that this happens on the first day of the week. Now, he could of course just be trying to place these events having happened on a Sunday. And isn't it funny to hear Sunday as the first day of the week? We don't really arrange our modern lives in this way. Sunday is considered, for many of us, the end of the week, right? We start on Monday, and we look forward to Saturday and Sunday. But our calendars, on our calendars, Sunday is the first day of the week. And so he could simply be trying to say, oh, this happened on a Sunday. But again, he's not just Uh, it's not just a historical statement, it's a theological statement. And he's telling us this story in a theological way. So if we understand this to be a theological statement, then what could it possibly mean? Well, scholars agree almost universally that John has organized his gospel around a series of signs or miracles. And the signs begin when Jesus turns water into wine at the wedding of Cana. And John explicitly says, this is... Is the first sign. <laughs> That's very helpful. Thank you, John. Right. And in fact, he goes on at the second one. He'll say this was the second sign. He's trying to like put up these huge kind of road signs saying you better pay attention. But then he becomes a little bit more under the radar. He starts saying instead of this is the first sign and the second sign and then the third sign, he actually starts mon- or, or, or marking the signs through the passage of time. So he'll say, then the next day, and he'll tell a story of a miracle. And then the next day, And what you have is, starting with the wedding, water to wine at the wedding of Cana, and then the second sign, and then the next day, and the next day, and the next day. You get all the way to when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and if you're counting and paying attention, there are seven signs, or seven days, (laughs) right? It's pretty good. Now... This this way of organizing John's gospel is universally agreed upon, but theologians, historians love to bicker and argue about what exactly the signs are, and so you'll find variations there. But what's clear is that there are seven signs. And seven is this number of wholeness, or this number of completeness. And for the ancient Jewish person who is reading this, it certainly would have called to mind the seven days... Of creation, and so you have this kind of this culminating effect. This water to wine, all the way to raising Lazarus from the dead. The miracles are getting more impressive, right? They're kind of getting the, they're they're upping the ante a little bit, and then you get all the way to that that seventh sign when you finally get to resurrection morning. And John isn't make sure to mark this happens on the first day of the week. It's likely an indication that for John, resurrection morning is the first day of a new week. Or you might say it this way, the first day of a new creation. In other words, what John understands is that resurrection is the first event that takes place in God's new world. I loved the quote that we read during our worship set, which is essentially, the old world died overnight on Holy Saturday. And then at dawn on Sunday, a new world was brought to be. A new world was birthed right in our midst. And so Easter Sunday is not so much about the possibility of blissful afterlife for you and I. It isn't so much about uh, this kind of spiritual awakening, a spiritualization of the idea of resurrection, right? We can't go too far there because Jesus was actually physically bodily raised. And we can have a temptation to over-spiritualize things but rather what resurrection is about. And by the way, this is what we celebrate every Sunday. Yeah, because every Sunday is resurrection day. And what we celebrate every Sunday is this truth, that God breaks into the brokenness of our world with the miracle of new creation. I thought for sure on Easter Sunday, there'd be a little more excitement about that. So I'm going to say it one more time and give you a second chance. The good news of the resurrection is that God breaks into the brokenness of our world with the miracle of new creation. Yeah. There we go, right? And if we're not excited about that, or if we don't believe that, then let's ask the Holy Spirit to, uh, to reveal it to us. Because this is the beauty of Easter. This is the beauty of Easter, new creation. That's the message. If you're looking for a nap, you can sleep the rest of the sermon. I have more to say, but that's what I want you to get. Okay? I want you to get the beautiful truth of Easter is that God breaks into the brokenness of our world with the miracle of new creation. Okay? Now, of course, this has all kinds of implications for the world at large. And it should inform all sorts of things in terms of our posture toward the world, maybe our approach to politics, right? Like all these kinds of things. As Christians, our primary allegiance, it belongs to the resurrected Christ, and the resurrected Christ is the verifiable proof of God's new creation breaking into this one. Everything flows from there. That is the starting point. Right? So if we start with sort of an allegiance to over here, and we try to fit Jesus in, it's going to get ugly real fast. Okay? But if, as Christians, we confess Jesus is the resurrected Lord of the world, and we know what resurrection is, it's not the promise of a blissful afterlife, it's not just the coolest miracle, it's not just being spiritually woke but it is the evidence of new creation breaking in that becomes the starting point for everything else. So it has implications for the world at large, but here's what I want you to hear also today is it also has implications for you and I. It has personal implications. And so for the Gospel of John and the John the Gospel writer, resurrection is the eighth sign. It's a Sunday, but it's a different kind of Sunday. It's a Sunday, but it's a new kind of Sunday. It's a a new week, the first week of new creation. And just in case you think that this is just a bunch of mumbo-jumbo, there is one more thing that John drops in his narrative that we need to pick up on. And that is that in his retelling, John says that Mary looks at Jesus and thinks that he is the gardener. This is a literary version of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, (laughs) right? This is him forming his narrative as a theologian and essentially trying to say and make the claim that Jesus is the new Adam, that Jesus is the new Adam, that Jesus is the one who has come to reclaim what it means to be fully human in God's new creation, this is the point. Jesus, or Mary churning to Jesus, thinking he was the gardener, as a theologian, John is saying Jesus is the new Adam. Jesus has reclaimed what it means to be fully human and live in God's new creation, because here is the evidence, resurrection wasn't supposed to happen until the end, but here it has broken in right into the middle. Praise be to God. Okay. So the theological telling of the resurrection for the Gospel of John clearly points us to the John, about what John thought about the resurrection. And that is he saw it as the first decisive act of God's new creation coming to bear on our world. And that is why we celebrate today, that is why we sing, and that is why we hold on to hope. Amen? Now, that would be the shortest Easter message I have ever preached, but lo and behold, I have more to say. <laughs> but again, if, that's, if you're satisfied and good to go, then hold on to that. But here's the, also, here's the other thing. There is a shadow side of resurrection. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so perfect that was so perfect (laughs) oh i love i love having kids with us it's so great it's so great let me take this opportunity to say sometimes intergenerational sundays are are like so we have one of two responses to intergenerational sundays when we hear the the noises of children, we could be like, I wish those parents could learn how to keep their kids quiet in church. Or we could be like, I am so glad there are kids in this church. Right? Those are your two choices. Make sure you choose the second. (laughs) Those who choose the first will be automatically applied to volunteer at eKids, okay? There is this shadow side of resurrection, and that is that resurrection requires death. This necessary prerequisite to resurrection is dying. And while that may seem odd or off-putting at first, it is actually one of the reasons why I find the story so compelling so compelling, is that we serve a God who is willing not only to become flesh, but carry through the necessary prerequisite of getting to resurrection, which is the cross. And in many ways invites us to do the same thing that in order for us to enter into the abundant resurrection life of Jesus, there may be, uh, there is some things that we'll have to die to. There will be some, a death that needs to take place. And so I find this story very compelling, this idea of new life coming out of things that are or seem to be dead. But this reality, this truth, is actually built into the creation of God itself. That God in his wisdom built into creation the very idea of resurrection. As I mentioned prior to the sermon today, yesterday a group of us gathered here at the church to work on the yard and it seemed to me that some of our volunteers were just cutting back dead grasses that a few months ago were flourishing and looked great. It seemed to me that we were just cutting back dead rose bushes that this summer were were in wonderful bloom. Right? And you know, you need to put your best foot forward on Easter so you don't want dead things hanging around at Easter so you cut them back. But here's the thing. I've been around long enough to believe that those grasses aren't really dead, even though I know nothing about plants. I don't know anything about rose bushes, but I know Nina Rattle does, and I'd be willing to bet that she's not just cutting it back, but she's pruning it for new life. Built into creation itself is this idea of resurrection. Did you know that for a plant to grow, a seed must be planted in the ground and die in order for that plant to grow in its place? Did you know that stars form from a collection of gases and dust collapsing in on itself? And when a star, that forms the star, but when that star dies, it can form other stars or a whole new thing called a supernova. And so while my understanding, my scientific understanding of these things is basic, the idea remains the same. In God's creation, new things are born out of those things which have died. This is both a spiritual reality for you and I, and a very real and tangible reality in the world in which we live. And so that's why I find this story so compelling. It's physical reality, it's spiritual reality, and what it, tre- what it shows us is that there is, in fact, this connection between brokenness and redemption, between lament and hope, between death and resurrection. These things are inextricably linked in our world and in our lives. Now, I wanna point out some artwork on display this morning. Now it's physically hanging in the back of the room. You can look there, it'll also be up on the screens. It also forms the basis for our Easter graphic this year. But here it is, so whichever is easiest for you to look at, the screens, after the service I encourage you to take a look at the paintings themselves, as the colors pop way better than on our um, projectors that are aging a little bit in technology terms. So. But these two paintings work together to form a singular piece of art, and they're painted by our own Melissa Poppy. One painting communicates darkness, uncertainty, despair. I won't ask for a raise of hands, but how many, that may be like just the last year is kind of the dark painting, right? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Like the last year, we say of those two, the one on the right feels like 2020, okay? or the last calendar year. But the other one, the other communicates a different message and yet is intimately connected to the first. You could take these two paintings by themselves, but together is where they find their real strength. Together is where they find their real strength. And so the second one, there's light, there's hope, and there's newness. So there's two distinct paintings, but together they point us to the relationship between death and resurrection. This connection between the two. This piece together is called Twilight Lament and Hope's Dawn. John's narrative And Melissa's paintings point us to the beautiful truth that God breaks into the old with the new. Do you remember the Easter truth I want you to grab today? That the good news of resurrection is that God breaks into the brokenness of this world with new life miracles, right? With the miracle of new creation. That's what I want you to get. If you're anything like me, the hope of Easter has new weight and new significance, given the darkness of the past year. As we were gathering in to the sanctuary and singing songs, and I was playing the drums probably too loud, um, there was just this moment of, of recognition that this is how it's supposed to be that on Easter Sunday, there's supposed to be people in the room praising God and saying hallelujahs. And I was reminded of last Easter, where we were just a few weeks into all of this thing, and, and we hadn't quite gotten all of our T's crossed and I's dotted and made the adjustment, and Easter Sunday was quite literally me in front of a computer in my basement. And while I'm thankful for the technology to do so, that's not how it's supposed to be. And so we recognize today the good news of hope's dawn in the midst of lament. And so this past year has been dark, and I'm not just talking about COVID. (laughs) There's this racial reckoning going on in our country right now that requires something of us. There have been political divisions that have affected relationships, probably for many of us, if not all of us, have had certain relationships strained or made more difficult or, or this kind of, this division in our country and in our churches, it's been difficult. And unless we choose to just completely unplug, which is not the right choice, but if we're paying attention and if we're involving ourselves, this week, this year has required something of us and it's been hard and it's been heavy. Can we remind ourselves as the people of God that on this Easter morning, Despite the heaviness, the uncertainties, the questions that we may still have, and all the things that still need to be worked out, and all the injustices that we need to lean into to try to heal and participate with God, can we rest in the good news and the hope that God's new creation has begun, and it began at the first Easter morning and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's find hope in that. Let's find energy in that. Let's find strength in that truth and in that reality that God's project to bring the life of heaven to earth is in full swing. (laughs) The thing about Holy Saturday is that it appears that God is all done. The thing about Holy Saturday between when we recognize and remember and commemorate the death of Jesus and we await the good news of resurrection on Easter morning is it seems like God is all done and he's not up to something. But may we rest in the good news that even on Holy Saturday, God is at work. And so here's where it gets right down to you and I. What God did for Jesus on the first Easter, God intends to do for us and all of creation in the new creation. What God did for Easter, or what God did for Jesus in the first Easter, God intends to do for the whole world and for us at new creation. Amen? That Jesus doesn't just offer us a new code of ethics or a new religious possibility, But what Jesus offers us is participation in God's new creation. And it begins with each of us. As we place our faith, as we place our trust in Jesus, as we look at the evidence of the story and we say, I may not have all the questions answered, I may not have all the doubts addressed, but there's enough here to compel me to choose to live my life according to the story of Jesus Christ. We call that faith, right? For those that have placed their faith in Jesus, Paul says, you are a new creation. The very where Jesus was the evidence of, of new creation at His resurrection, Paul says, when we place our faith in Jesus, we are invited immediately invited into participation with that new creation, and we are little new creations in the midst of old one of the old one, right? Which is why when Christians gather together in this thing called the church, it ought to look differently because there's a whole bunch of little new creations mingling and mixing in with a whole bunch of old creations, right? And then we're kind of gathering together and we're saying there's something new and fresh and different here. Lord, help us to embody the new creation that you have not only called us to, but have actually formed in us by your spirit. And so now, through trust in Christ, we each have the opportunity to experience new creation by being made new ourselves. The Christ-centered hope for the world is real. Our hope is not misplaced when our hope is in Jesus Christ. Amen? Christ-centered hope for our lives is real. That our hope for our lives, my life, my specific personal life, and the issues that you face, and the issues that I face, and the temptations that are mine, and the temptations that are yours, and all of these things, our hope is not lost when our hope is on Christ for those things. So it's, Resurrection Easter Sunday is this thing with huge cosmic realities and implications And yet that cosmic implication finds its way into the nitty grittiness of our own lives and offers us hope there. And so, having just come out of a a series on lamentations, we are to feel the weight of that which is not right. We've spent the last few weeks studying that and saying that's actually a form of hope. We are to feel the weight of that which is not right. We are to name the pain. We are to be honest about injustice. We are to confess our sin. But we don't do any of those things in despair. We do them in hope. Because resurrection forms the background of all of those things. Hope centered on the fact that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. That God's new world has begun, and that we are invited to experience it ourselves and share it with others by faithfully living according to God's new world. Because the old world had a death problem, but the new world doesn't. That's good news. That's good news. Hey, let's pray, and I will lead us to the Lord's table today. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise today for the good news of resurrection, for the hope that it provides, for the encouragement that it gives us. Lord, may we today be lifted up. And if there's anyone here today that is uncertain or unsure, God, may they first be reminded of your love. that that whatever doubts or uncertainties or questions that linger in our hearts and minds, maybe even questions that seem insurmountable, do not in any way compromise your great love for us. So God, today, give us faith. Give us faith And that doesn't mean all the answers questioned, all the questions answered or all the doubts away, but that rather just means that we are compelled by your spirit by the beauty of this story. So God, help us to live as faithful participants of new creation. And, And there's actually a thousand different ways that this works out in our marriages, in our workplaces, in our work for justice in the world, in our life together as a church. And maybe the reason that we gather every seven days in person or online or however, whatever venue or avenue that we need to gather with your people, we do so as an exploration of those implications. What does it mean to be citizens of God's new creation? while finding ourselves placed in Fort Collins or northern Colorado. And so God, help us. Give us wisdom, give us insight, give us discernment. And most of all, give us courage to obey your word. For the moments when we find clarity, for the moments when we are certain we need to go this direction, we need to take this action, we need to do this thing, we need to stop doing that other thing, Lord, whatever it is, give us courage to walk in obedience to you, we pray. So be with us, and thank you for this day of celebration. We give you thanks and we give you praise, Heavenly Father. Amen.